You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We are doing a sermon series on the parables, on the parables of Jesus from Luke specifically. We're going through parables. This is like week four. We're doing eight of them. We're just spending the summer walking through Jesus's words, uh, life lessons from Luke, Jesus's parables in Luke. And so uh, that's what we're doing. Parables, if you don't know, are kind of these stories. They're earthly stories to help us understand heavenly realities. That's what Jesus is doing. He's helping us understand the ways of the kingdom. Today, so I, I mapped out these parables a while ago. And let me just tell you, today is like big kid stuff. This is mature stuff. It's not, how many kids do we got in here? One. <laughs> not super sexy. It's real meat and potatoes for us. But Jesus has something that he really wants us to learn here in the middle of Luke 14. It's about who is valuable, who gets counted, and how valuable they are. And so usually we do bad news, but I'm going to do background. I think there's some background before we get into this. Jesus is sitting at dinner with some elite, and he wants to talk to us about who gets counted and who is valuable. And if you don't know, this is how the Roman society was organized in Jesus' time. Little pyramid there for us. you got the emperor and his family at the top, of course. And then you got senators, patricians, we would call them. These are kind of people who make the decisions. Then you got the equestrians, if you know words. These are like what we would call maybe in, in from Europe knights, right? These were maybe soldiers sometimes, landowners for sure, but below senators, but above plebeians. Plebeians? My son's going to correct me. These are people who are bad at video games. If you don't know, that's what they call people who are bad at video games. No, these are just regular folks. Uh, These are merchants. These are artisans. These are business owners. These are landowners and farmers. These are regular folks, mostly like all of us. Then there's freed slaves and manual laborers, which is hard to see. And then at the bottom is, want to take a guess? Slaves, of course. It's hard to see. You can see back there. It's slaves. And there's two rules you need to know before we get into this parable that kind of governs dinner parties and just basically all of life when it comes to this. Uh, The two rules are this. Food is politics. And what I mean politics is that when you're doing food, you're talking about um, where you stand here. That's got to be evident when you're eating dinner together, where you sit, whose house you get invited to, whoever you're willing to eat with is the people that you think are good for society and are helping out in society, and your status needs to be displayed at that dinner party. And so your seating arrangement, like I said, whose house you're willing to go to, all of that is really important. And then also, gifts are debt in this society. A little bit in our society, too. Not quite as much. But here, for sure, if someone gives you something, you are now in debt to them. You owe them. 
someone gives you a dinner party, then the likelihood of you having to give them a dinner party in return is 100%. That's the expectation. And so one of the reasons you wouldn't invite someone from the lower ranks to your dinner party is because they really can't repay you. They would have to decline because it would be dishonoring to themselves, to you. And so, but this is gifts are debt, food is politics. These are two rules that govern this whole situation. It kind of sounds foreign to us, but let me tell you, when I teach sociology, I know my screen's all stretched. Stretch. I'm going to try to find a way to fix that here in a second. When I teach sociology to our cla my classes, uh, there are six stratifications in our community, too. Some of it is missing here, but we have upper class, we got upper middle, we got middle class, we got working class, we got working poor, and at the bottom, we call underclass. They got six, we got six. It's not so different from our own societies, okay? You hear me? And also, I had a birthday party, and my, my wife made me write thank you notes. It feels like I was in debt, too. She was like, write these thank you notes, and I was like, they came to my birthday party. I was like, your gift to me is addressing those envelopes. And she was like, okay, that was her gift to me. And so they got six, we got six. That's how we teach it in sociology. If you would, now, with that background, let's read some scriptures. Bust out your Bibles if you have them. We're going to page 796, Luke 14. And uh, just the background, as I walk amongst you and make everyone a little anxious, is right before that, the story is Jesus heals a man with a disability. Jesus heals a man with a disability, and the religious elite are upset by it. They're frustrated by it because he does it on the day of rest. He does it on the day of rest, and so they are big mad because God doesn't want people to work on the day of rest, they believe. And healing people from the lower ranks certainly isn't worthy of anyone's time or attention. Look, it's not a stretch now. And so they're mad in Luke 14. He, he heals on the Sabbath. They're at the dinner party, right? Jesus went to share a meal at the home of one of the leaders of the Pharisees. That's how 14 begins. And he heals somebody on that Sabbath day, and they're very upset with it. And Jesus goes, wouldn't you pull your kid out of a hole? Even if it was Saturday? If they were stuck in a hole, wouldn't you pull your kid out of it? And they just kind of get quiet. And so Jesus wants to give them a couple parables. We're going to spend, this is a long passage. To spend, so we're spending time with Jesus. We're spending time with Jesus. He says, starting in 7, When Jesus noticed how the guests sought out the best seats at the table, he told a parable. There's the word. When someone invites you to a wedding celebration, don't take your seat at the place of honor. Someone more highly regarded than you could have been invited by your host. The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give your seat to this other person, and embarrassed, you will take your seat at the least important place. Instead, when you receive an invitation, go and sit in the least important place. And then your host might approach you, and he will say, friend, move up here to a better seat. And then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. All who lift themselves up will be brought low. And those who make themselves low will be lifted up. 
Then Jesus said to the person who had invited him, when you host a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they will invite you in return, and that will be your reward. Instead, give a banquet, invite the poor and those with disabilities, crippled, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. Instead, you will be repaid when the just are resurrected. They, someone hears about the resurrection of the just, someone hears about heaven, the future, and they shout out, happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. That sounds right. That sounds holy. That sounds blessed. One more parable, Jesus replied. A certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. And when it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent the servants to go tell the invited guests, come, the dinner is now ready. And one by one, they all began to make excuses. This is social sabotage in this culture. The first one said, I bought a farm. I got to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have five teams of oxen. I got to check them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married. I can't come. When the servant returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go quickly to the city streets, the busy ones, the side streets, and bring in the poor and those with disabilities, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The servant said, master, your instructions have been followed, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go to the highways and the byways and urge people to come in so that my house may be filled. I tell you, none of the ones that were invited will eat my dinner this is the word of the Lord for the people of God on this day. Amen and amen. As always, head, heart, hand. Something for us to know, feel, do. That's how I preach. Three points. It's all you get out of 500 verses. Three points. Something to know, something to feel, something to do. Those are the questions I ask. We do that every Sunday because that's I'm hoping catches on. And you ask those questions when you read the Bible because sometimes it's hard to understand. And if you could get that, I think you'll be ahead of the pack. So what I always ask first is, what does God want us to know? What's the information for my brain? And this is what the best scholars that I'm reading come up with. This is what God's talking to me about this week is this. When you invest in heaven, you invest in heaven when you give to the poor. You invest in heaven when you give to the poor, let me prove it from this passage. Jesus says, if you have a party, don't invite the people that can repay you, right? That's your reward. If you want to be repaid by Jesus, invite people who can't repay you right now, specifically the poor and people with disabilities. Invite the people who can't repay you. Jesus will repay you later because you invest in heaven when you help the poor. Just another chapter about this, a couple chapters before this, chapter 12, we're in 14. 12, Jesus just clearly says it. Love, uh, give, love, man. The coffee's quick, but the brain is slow. I feel <laughs> I'm anxiously tired. Give to those in need making for yourselves purses is the old language wallets in this version that don't wear out a treasure in heaven that never runs out you invest in heaven when you help the poor this is a spiritual law of jesus's kingdom it is immutable 
Jesus wants you to have this information. You want to lay up treasure in heaven? This is how you do it. You help folks who cannot repay you, who can't give it back to you. This is how we invest. This is the law of Jesus' kingdom, and this is what Jesus wants us to know. All over the Bible, this is just true. I read a story about a guy this week looking for stories about this. This is a 19-year-old manager of a Dairy Queen. 19. Good for him. Manager, saving up money to try to go to college. His name is Joey Pruzak. This was a while ago. And the story goes like this. He was working. He saw a man who was blind drop a $20 bill, and he saw a woman pick it up and put it in her pocket. And he walked over to her and he said, hey... I think you should give that back. And the woman said, no, this is my money. I dropped it. And so he took his wallet out and he gave the man who was blind $20. And that was the end of it, except another customer saw what happened and sent an email to the franchise owner and said, your manager is a really wonderful kid. The franchise owner posted that email in the back room. Another employee took a picture of it, put it on Facebook, and it blew up. It went all over the internet to the point that uh, people came from miles and miles around to give Joey money for his college fund. I don't know if you know this, Dairy Queen is owned by Warren Buffett, and Warren Buffett got word of this and gave him money. Uh, another journalist offered to buy a whole Dairy Queen and let him run it and have it, just let him have it, all because he helped something that we would all do, except obviously that one person who's a bad person. <laughs> Listen, if you steal a blind man's $20 bill, you should just go somewhere else. That's all I got to say, okay? Uh Something we would all do, but like, it just, I just told you it was a law of Jesus' kingdom that like, this is how we invest in heaven. This is how we invest in the kingdom is by helping folks who cannot repay us. This kid did a deed, did not expect to get repaid, and yet it reverberated far and wide. Jesus wants us to know that you invest, you lay up treasure in heaven when you help those who cannot repay you. The only important time to look at this is to make sure you're making sure that the people beneath you are getting enough. Yeah? You're finding the right people to locate to offer help and assistance. Jesus says, don't worry about this. In fact, sometimes we read Jesus' statement about, like, find the lesser seat so that your person will make you get a better seat. Jesus isn't teaching you how to game this system. He's telling you to ignore it. Just, if you're going to look at it, look at it to find and locate the people who God has asked you to help. It's to see which direction you should give. Famously, there was a, a missionary, a guy named Jim Elliott and his wife. Uh, they went down to try to bring gospel to an unreached people group, and he was killed in the efforts to do that. And in his journal, they found this quote that gets read all over the world, all the time by pastors, but it just feels like it connects here, right? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You invest in heaven when you help those who cannot repay you. 
old church, especially old black church, they called it sending timber. Sending timber for your mansion to be built on the other side of glory. The blind boys of Mississippi sang a song called Sending Timber. And I've heard people use that phrase. Sending timber to the other side of glory because you invest in heaven when you help those who can't repay you. I think that's the information Jesus wants us to know. What's the experience then? How is this supposed to impact us? How does this change us? What's the character development Jesus wants for us? Because if it doesn't become transformation, it just becomes another rule for us. Here is what I'm feeling. When Jesus reveals a value of God's, he wants it to be a value of yours. Jesus is in these parables trying to tell us about God's values because he wants them to become our values. And so he isn't just revealing God. He's revealing God so that we can create and help, uh, you know, establish God's kingdom on earth with God's values. And so he says, here's a value from God. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and all who make themselves low will be lifted up. This is what God is up to. This is what God is doing, low and high. These are values. And, and, and Jesus is saying in God's kingdom, those values are flipped. The opposite of our world. Low, high. God has different values than us, and he wants you to have those values too. This is also another law of Jesus' kingdom. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be least in your community. The greatest of all is the least of all, Jesus tells us. It's just another law of the kingdom. And so these parables are trying to help us understand what God's kingdom is like. And he says, guess what? It's opposite of your world when it comes to status and highness and what God values and what God cares about. And so lowness in the world is highness in God's kingdom. Jesus doesn't say this simply so that you will try harder to become more humble. That isn't his goal entirely. Be humble. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say this just so you go, I guess I got to try harder to be humble. Like that's not the entire point of it. I think it's deeper. He says it so that we will learn to love the humble ways and things and people like Jesus does. Because if you learn to value and love the humble things, you will head towards humility. If you don't like the humble things and you just try harder, you're just going to grit your teeth and bear, bear it and just nose to the grindstone and you're going to burn yourself out. But if you can let the Holy Spirit transform your love and your values so that you love and value humble things and humble people and humble positions, the things that are great in God's kingdom, you will head in that direction. This is one of my favorite writers. His name's Henry Nowen, hanging out with Mr. Rogers. So I just wanted to give him some clout right off the bat. Our world wants to talk about masculinity what does it mean to be a man? These are the manliest guys I know. Amen. Not like according to the world, but according to Christ. So I love Henry now. And Henri, he's from the Netherlands. And he's a priest. And he got very famous in the 1900s, 60s, 70s. 
uh, he first went to Yale as a priest, and he got to ta- teach spirituality. And it was great, but he felt his soul diminishing. And then he got another position in Harvard. This is him at Harvard. And in a book called The Road to Peace, he wrote a lot. I love lots and lots of his books. He said, I had the feeling that Harvard was not where God wanted me. It's too much podium, too much publicity, too public. Too many people came to listen. You know that's from Jesus. Everybody's trying to get more people. And he's like, it's too many people. But at the same time, I didn't feel it was a safe place where I could deepen my spiritual life. Where does he land? He goes all over the world. He goes to Guatemala. He, go, he's, he's just, he goes to France. He goes all over the world. He's a brilliant thinker, writer, trying to help people connect to Jesus, feeling like his soul is getting diminished. For the last 10 years of his life, he ends up in a community in Canada of people that have moderate to severe mental disabilities. It's called the L'Arche Community. They live together as a group of people who have mental disabilities, and they called him to be their priest, and he showed up. And the last decade of his life is just him writing about how much Jesus he finds here, how much his soul flourishes here, not at the podium, but with this group of people that are really of no earthly good to what our economic, political system values, but he says, of immense value to Jesus. Here he is in the middle. Here he is washing dishes with his friend that would travel with him. Here he is leading services in the community. And he gives us this quote, pretty radical, but I think it's in line with what Jesus is trying to teach us. Our spirituality should come from living deeply with the poor. A spirituality of being with vulnerable people and of being vulnerable with them, that's the great journey. What I'm particularly struck by, yeah, that's the right way to say it. What I'm particularly struck by in this passage is that Jesus doesn't ask us to fix people, doesn't even ask us to help them, certainly tells us to not get repaid by them, right? Doesn't, this is not a mission field. Jesus is talking about having dinner with people and what kind of people do you value? And are you playing the world game or are you playing the kingdom game? And if you're playing the kingdom game, if you're on the kingdom team, you're going to value different people than the world does. And we're not asking for you to fix them or help them or serve them or make them a mission field. Just spend some time with them. Eat some dinner with people. Become vulnerable with vulnerable people and see if you can find Jesus there. Learn to love the last, least, and lost, those of little earthly value. Just eat some food together. This is one of the things I love most about Jesus. He's just like, eat some food together. Hey, when you gather together, have some bread. And I'm like, okay, I love bread. I love it. Why don't you just, here's, here's, how, here's how I want you to fix the world. Just eat some food together. Okay. In fact, and I don't want to over-spiritualize this passage, and I think I just told you Jesus isn't like, this is how we fix people, and this is how we, I don't want to, but like, maybe that's how we fix the world. It's like, maybe just having a couple more meals together with people that maybe the world values a little bit less than God does. Which is what I think the last point is. What does God want you to do? 
What does God want you to do? There's a lot of things I could say here, including eat together, which is what I just love about this. But I think there's a deeper lesson, just one level deeper. Don't over-spiritualize Jesus' value for the world's less valuable. Don't over-spiritualize. You're going to have a temptation to do that. Don't do that. I see that right here. Jesus goes, invite people who can't repay you, and I will repay you in the future, which, by the way, is hard for us. We don't like getting repaid in the future. We want to be repaid right now. Every time I eat a bowl of cereal, I'm like, this has got to take an hour off my life. And I'm like, that's fine, right? Like, I don't even want to. Jesus is like, on the other side of death, I'm going to repay you, I promise. And you're like, that seems like a long ways away. But Jesus is like, hang out with people that can't repay you, according to that social norm. Hang out with people. He goes, I will repay you on the other side of death, in glory, in the resurrection of the just. And someone hears the word heaven, hears the word resurrection, and they go, heaven's going to be wonderful, isn't it? Blesses anyone that gets to eat in the kingdom of God. They over-spiritualize it right away, and Jesus goes, hold up. There's a man who was having a dinner party. And he invited some people, and all the people of status bailed on him. And he lived out the values that I just told you to live out. Invite people who can't repay you. A lot of people want to over-spiritualize this next section. And it's really just about a man who had a dinner party. And he ate with people whom God values instead of whom the world values. Don't over-spiritualize Jesus' value for the humble things. Don't do it. We do it all the time. Don't do it. Don't do it. Jesus promises reward for those who value the humble ways of God. And at the mention of heaven, someone shouts how great heaven's going to be. And Jesus brings them right back down to earth and says, heavenly values have to have earthly good. They have to be of earthly good right here, right now. If they're no earthly good, they're not real heavenly values. Because we got 100,000 verses to prove this to us. The word became flesh and dwells among us. God so loved the world that he gave his son. We pray our most important prayers. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your values become our values. Make it so. Don't over-spiritualize Jesus' love for humble things. Don't be like, yeah, I'm sure heaven's going to figure it all out. I'm going to keep playing this game here. That's what you mean, Jesus, right? It's like, mm. she's like, no. Value the things that I value. This is an old mentor of mine, a pastor of mine. I came to faith under his ministry. He was a youth pastor, an associate pastor at the church I belonged to. I love him dearly. I say that it's by having meetings with him that I came to faith. Just this poor 14-year-old kid who had no hope, no direction, really, I mean, hardly anywhere even to live, food to eat, and I got to read scripture and talk to him. His name's Glenn Lorenz. I love him dearly like a father in Jesus so much so that when he tried to plant a church in Arizona, I went down for a couple months to try to help. Family problems called me back. My parents called me back, but I even got to live with them for a while. But I didn't know anything for a long time. I wasn't raised in the church. Like I told you, I'm a I came from straight heathenism. I was just living life on the streets, no hope or future. And so I started reading scripture, starting with Jesus, which is, you know, counter productive. You want to read a book from the beginning, but here I am as your pastor telling you, skip the first two-thirds. Start Jesus. 
There's a book called Numbers back there, and it's exactly how difficult it sounds to read. It's holy and good. You're not ready for it yet. That's what I'm saying. That's big kid stuff. So I started with Jesus, and it's reading the scriptures and meeting with him that Jesus got a hold of me. But I didn't know anything that the story goes, right? And I always point to a couple stories. Like I said, Job instead of Job, and everyone laughed. And I couldn't say Beelzebub, and everyone laughed. And that's a hard one to say. I was like, Beetlejuice or whatever. And they were like, that's not it. And then very quickly, I felt like God started to put a call on my life. These pastors were my heroes. I mean, I felt like I literally came from darkness to light, from death to life. And then I'm turning 15, and people are going, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'll tell you, I had exactly zero plans. My plan was to not go to jail. That was my plan, to not die. And somebody's like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, well, these are the coolest people that I can think of, which is not true. They will tell you they're the biggest dorks you can think of, and that's true, according to human ways. But I was like, they helped me so much. That's all I want to do. And so I went to him, and I said, how do you become a pastor? And he goes, well, you got to go to college for four years, and then you got to go to seminary for three years, and then you got to go through an ordination process, and then you get ordained. And I was like, 10 years, and I'm 14? That feels like way too long. I never had any hopes to go to college. And I said, what happens at an ordination service? And he said, well, what do you think happens at an ordination service? And I was like, I think there's robes, maybe some masks. It's a dark room. There's fire, maybe. I think I'm imagining a lot of fire. Maybe we sacrifice a sheep. I, I just read a lot, of, a lot about sheep sacrifice. Are we sac when do we sacrifice the sheep? Maybe take a little olive branch, splash a little blood around. You're ordained. And he looked at me and he goes, I got ordained at a youth camp. My mom brought a cake. And that is the perfect detail for me to be like, oh, I over-spiritualized this whole thing. Sheep sacrifice, blood sprinkling. He's like, you made that too complicated. My mom brought a cake. I'll never forget the look in his eyes when he said, my mom brought a cake. It was outside at a youth camp. Sometimes the meaning of Jesus' parable is that my mom brought a cake. Sometimes, oftentimes we're like, yay, heaven. And I really do want you to be excited about heaven. But like sometimes Jesus' parables, he just wants you to love and value the last, least, and lost. And like make real community with them and spend real time together with them. And maybe just eat a meal with them. That's where I came to faith. I got a sandwich from Wagon Wheel with that guy. And we went to the dam and we shared stories. And he asked me a God question. And that was the beginning of the end of my life without Jesus. Bread. Sometimes it's just my mom brought cake. That's the meaning. Jesus really does just want you to value the things that he values. With that, are there any questions? comments, mostly about my pronunciation of plebeian. Is it plebeian Titus? What? Okay, great. Here's my summary. I got two, I got two texts about plebeian, so go home and look it up for yourself. A couple spiritual laws of the kingdom from Jesus. You invest in heaven when you give to the poor. 
And when Jesus reveals a character of God, he wants it to become a character of yours. This is what we mean when we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're trying to make God's values our values. And heavenly values should be of some earthly good. Don't over-spiritualize those all the time. Yes, let's be excited for glory. Jesus promises to repay us there. But it should impact the way we live and the way we spend our time and who we spend our time with right now. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you for this story, for the way that you encourage us to eat together, that this really is part of your plan and mission, that even now we gather around the table as the pinnacle of our service to receive from you, your table, Would you help us to take that value of gathering together with the people that you love dearly as a way to heal our world? Lord, we cannot do this in our own strength. We need your help to value the things that our world has told us not to value. We need your help to love the things that the world has told us are unlovely. Give us your eyes and ears. May your Holy Spirit help us to see the world the way that you do and what you're going to do to bring every high thing low and to make every low thing high. Help us. Help us. And as we gather at this table, would it be a place where we meet you, but would it also be the way in which we live our life together, that you are teaching us as you meet us to live our life in this way? the breaking of bread with a bunch of people that maybe we wouldn't normally choose to spend our time with, but because we are focused on following you, you have gathered us here to this meal. Meet us here in a holy and deep way that helps take that information to transformation. We can see more clearly the world in which you love. Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer, saying... Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.